0: Hey future doctors, thanks for joining me on Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Rhea Mulherker, I'm currently a medicine intern in Philadelphia, and I will be your host today. Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar, guys, and thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be about vasculitis, um, and we're basically just going to cover the different types of vasculitis. Now, this is a very broad topic, and it's in actual clinical practice, it can be quite a complicated topic. And if you end up specializing in this, then you'll definitely end up knowing a lot more about it than me. But at the level of the step one, what you need to know about vasculitis is how it's categorized, all the different diagnoses that fit under the category of vasculitis, and how they present, and basic ways of treating them. So, you know... As with any topic on the step one, it can definitely be very overwhelming at first because there's a lot of diseases and there's a lot of different associations that can be hard to remember. But I'm going to try and help you out with that by going through the different vasculitides in an organized way and trying to help you make the key associations between the diagnosis, the clinical picture, and treatment when it's applicable. I'm going to try and help you guys out by coming up with silly little mnemonics to make these key associations and kind of stick them in your mind. Now, as per usual, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions and taking pauses. And if my pauses are not long enough, then please pause the audio and try and think about the answer. I really think that if you guys actively engage as you're listening, it's going to be a much stronger and more beneficial review for you. So with that little spiel, let's get into things. So my first question for you is, what is vasculitis? So itis, anything that ends in itis generally means inflammation. And so vasculitis is exactly that. It's inflammation of the blood vessel walls. So vasculitis, inflammation of the vessels. And then there's many different types of vasculitis, as I've said. And symptoms are going to vary a lot depending on which blood vessels are affected, and where in the body, so basically which organs are affected. Now, the diseases that we are going to cover in this episode are going to be primary processes, so primary systemic vasculitides. It's important to keep this in mind as you think about vasculitis because it can be kind of a primary problem, or it can also occur as a secondary feature in other diseases, such as lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, you can get a secondary vasculitis. In this episode, we are going to talk about primary vasculitis. Now, as I just said, symptoms in primary vasculitis vary a lot depending on what type of vessel and where in the body it's affected. However, there are certain symptoms that are kind of common to all vasculitis. Can you guys think of any symptoms that might be common across the board? So as we said, vasculitis is inflammation. So kind of general inflammatory symptoms are going to be pretty common across all these diseases. So you might see patients come in with fevers, night sweats, myalgias, arthralgias, and that's just because it's broad inflammatory symptoms. And then if you think about labs, what labs might you expect to be elevated in a patient with vasculitis? Think about labs that are elevated generally in any kind of autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. So inflammatory reactions are usually associated with what is called the acute phase response, and so acute phase reactants are going to be elevated. This includes CRP or C reactive protein, as well as um, ESR or the erythrocyte sedimentation rate. So CRP, ESR, which are general broad inflammatory markers are going to be elevated. You'll also see plasma viscosity elevated. And then other things that are common across the board for vasculitis is treatment. Um, What treatment can you think of that's often used for autoimmune inflammatory conditions? Just kind of a class of drugs. If you're thinking about steroids, you're absolutely right. Steroids are known to have an anti inflammatory effect, and so they're used to treat uh, vasculitis pretty commonly. There are some diseases that have slightly more specific treatment, and we'll talk about that when we get to that disease. Um, But most of the time, for vasculitis, steroids is going to be the right answer. So now I'm going to ask you how do we categorize the different types of vasculitis? So it's based on the size of the vessel. Um, the size of the vessel that's affected. So we have large, medium, and small vessel vasculitides, and that is how we'll be breaking up this episode. So I always like to start with what is most common because that's what you're going to see most often in real life and usually most often on the test as well. So what is the most common type of primary vasculitis? Do you guys know? Like what is the most common type that is seen in adults? It's something called giant cell arteritis. Uh, Do you guys know what kind of arteritis giant cell is? Is it large, medium, or small? It's kind of a giveaway in the name. It's a large vessel vasculitis. And what is the pathogenesis of giant cell arteritis? Like, what actually happens? So, in giant cell arteritis, you're going to get a focal granulomatous inflammation of the aorta and major branches of the aorta, especially branches of the carotid arteries. And again, this is a large vessel vasculitis, so you shouldn't have a hard time remembering that it affects the aorta, which is the largest blood vessel in the body. So it's gonna affect the aorta and branches, especially branches of the carotid artery. And there's one specific branch of the carotid that's very commonly affected. Do you guys know what branch that is? So it's gonna be the temporal artery. And that kind of corresponds to symptoms that we see in giant cell arteritis. How do patients with giant cell arteritis present? So usually they tend to be elderly females, and they're going to present with a unilateral headache kind of corresponding to the region of the temporal artery. They'll sometimes even like feel that artery throbbing, as well as jaw claudication, because the temporal artery has branches to the jaw. And if there's a problem with that blood vessel, they're going to have pain in the jaw when they try and chew. And so think elderly females, one-sided headache, and jaw claudication. And oftentimes, this disease is associated with polymyalgia rheumatica. Do you guys think this is a serious disease? Like, how bad is it if you have a unilateral headache? So it is a very serious disease. And the reason is that it can actually lead to occlusion of the ophthalmic artery and that can cause irreversible blindness. So if you have a patient and you're suspecting giant cell arteritis, it's really important to diagnose them and treat them right away. And what would be your approach to treat and diagnose? So you do want to get a biopsy of the temporal artery to kind of confirm the diagnosis of giant cell arteritis. You want to confirm that there's focal granulomatous inflammation in the temporal artery. But if you are suspecting a diagnosis of giant cell arteritis, it's really important to start empiric treatment first. So if you suspect giant cell arteritis, you first treat with high dose corticosteroids immediately in order to prevent vision loss. And then you can schedule that patient for a biopsy. But the first step is going to be treatment because the consequences can be so dire. And then, again, for most of the vasculitis, steroids is going to be the first answer for treatment. But there's always kind of a list of drugs that we can use as backup. For giant cell arteritis, if there is no improvement with steroids, there is a drug called tocilizumab. Anybody know the mechanism of tocilizumab? It's an antibody against IL-6, which is one of the inflammatory cytokines. So tocilizumab can uh, sometimes be used as one of the backup drugs if steroids are not effective. And then with all these diseases, you can kind of monitor how the disease progresses with following labs such as the CRP, ESR, plasma viscosity that we talked about. So giant cell arteritis, I want you guys to remember giant, jaw, and headache. Giant cell arteritis has jaw claudication and headache um, because it's associated with temporal arteritis. Okay? So that wraps up the first one. And then do you guys know the other large vessel vasculitis? So Takayasu arteritis. What is Takayasu arteritis? So this is also associated with, uh, you know, it affects the aorta you get a granulomatous thickening and narrowing of the aortic arch as well as proximal great vessels. So this one actually ends up affecting the arteries that supply the arms, head, neck, and heart. And how does this usually present? So it often presents in Asian females less than 40 years old, and it presents with kind of an aortic arch syndrome, so to speak. So patients will have weak pulses in their upper extremities or even loss of pulses in their arms. They'll have arm claudication. They might have variations in the blood pressure between the arms. You'll get arterial bruise. You can get aortic regurgitation, syncope, stroke, visual disturbance. Sometimes you can even see skin nodules. But the biggest thing to remember in this is that it affects the aortic arch and the large vessels that come off the aortic arch. So the, like the subclavian and the, the arteries that go into the arms. And so the biggest thing you're going to get is arm claudication. And then as always, you can always get the generic symptoms as well, like arthralgias, myalgias. Do you guys know how we treat Takayasu Arteritis? Steroids. Steroids is most of the time going to be the correct answer. Um, if, it's, if it's refractory to steroids, you can also give cytotoxic agents, such as cyclophosphamide. That'll be a common theme across some of these other uh, diseases as well. And then, you know, if they have very severe disease, once the inflammation is under control, you may consider surgery, angioplasty, for stenosis. But first-line treatment is steroids. And the mnemonic I like to remember for takayasu is taco takayasu. So think of a young woman eating a taco, and when you eat a taco, you move your arms around, and that's when they're going to get arm claudication or arm pain when they're moving around a taco. So taco takayasu. It's a silly way to remember it, but sometimes I need these silly ways to keep things straight. So that's it for the large vessel vasculitides. Let us move on to the medium vessel. And I'm going to start off with a case for you. So let's say a three-year-old child, who is a male, comes in and he's a Japanese child. He has a one-week history of fever, irritability. On exam, you see that his conjunctivae are injected. He has cervical lymphadenopathy. His lips appear dry and fissured. He has reddening of his oropharyngeal mucosa. His palms and soles of his feet are swollen and red. Then he also has this kind of polymorphous macular rash all over his back. What's the diagnosis in this young three-year-old Japanese male child? I'm going for Kawasaki disease, and another name for Kawasaki disease is mucocutaneous lymph node syndrome. The clinical features of Kawasaki disease were kind of all described in the vignette, but do you guys know a good mnemonic to keep track of all the symptoms in Kawasaki disease? crash and burn is the mnemonic and if you guys don't know it um we'll go through it now and it's a really good one to keep in mind so crash is actually an acronym and it stands for c-r-a-s-h c is conjunctival injection r is rash and it's typically a polymorphous macular rash the a is for adenopathy which is usually seen in the cervical chains s stands for strawberry tongue which is the same as oropharyngeal mucositis. So they'll have like redness and swelling of their oropharyngeal mucosa. So S is strawberry tongue. And then H stands for hand and foot edema and erythema. So that's the crash, conjunctiva, rash, adenopathy, strawberry tongue, hand and foot changes. And then the burn corresponds to fever. Um, These patients will also present with fever. Usually it has to be for more than five days. And what is the biggest risk in these patients? Like, what are you scared about in patients with Kawasaki disease? So the coronary artery effects, you're scared about coronary artery disease. They can actually get aneurysms in their coronary arteries, which can cause myocardial infarction. So it's really important to treat these patients right away. And what is the treatment for Kawasaki? I'll give you a hint. This is the one time that steroids is not the immediate answer. So for Kawasaki disease, you give IVIG, so IV immunoglobulins, as well as aspirin. And that's kind of weird, right? Because we learned that we usually don't give aspirin to children. Why is that again? So there's a risk of RISE syndrome. Um, For some reason, giving aspirin to children with viral illnesses can cause liver and brain damage. And I think it has to do with interference of salicylates with the mitochondria, and it can cause liver failure, brain edema. So usually we're scared about RISE syndrome, and so we don't give aspirin to children. But in the case of Kawasaki, you actually do want to give aspirin um, because I guess the antipyretic, anti-inflammatory actions are actually beneficial in this case. So remember, the treatment for Kawasaki is IVIG and aspirin. And then These patients are actually going to require long-term monitoring um, by pediatric cardiologists usually because there's such a high risk of coronary artery disease. So take away, Kawasaki kids are going to crash and burn. And that's kind of the little mnemonic sentence I want you to have in mind. Kawasaki kids crash and burn. Let's move on to the next medium vessel vasculitis. So let's say a middle-aged man, let's say he's in his 40s, comes in. He has abdominal pain, melanoma, headache, confusion. When you check his blood pressure, it's pretty elevated. He's hypertensive. Labs show that his creatinine is elevated from his baseline. He's also not making a lot of urine, or he's making less urine than normal. And he also tests positive for hepatitis B. Do you guys know what diagnosis I'm going for here? So this is polyarteritis nodosa. What is the pathogenesis of polyarteritis nodosa? So this is gonna be a necrotizing inflammation of medium and small arteries. You're typically gonna see a transmural inflammation, so affecting the entire wall of the artery with a fibrinoid necrosis. And which organs does it usually affect? So it affects a lot of them, the GI tract, heart, kidneys. What's more important to remember remember for polyarteritis nodosa is that it does not affect the pulmonary arteries. It spares the pulmonary arteries, and that's kind of weird because a lot of the other vasculitis affect the pulmonary arteries, but not polyarteritis nodosa. So please keep that in mind. And then it's usually seen in middle-aged men. In some patients, it's it's associated with hepatitis B virus, and that's why I kind of mentioned that in the vignette. And then how do we treat polyarteritis nodosa? We're back to steroids. So steroids, and if steroids don't work, you can try a cytotoxic agent again, such as cyclophosphamide. So first line of steroids may want to use cyclophosphamide. So for this one, remember, pan, man. Polyarteritis nodosa is going to be in middle-aged men, And remember that it spares the pulmonary arteries. The last medium vessel vasculitis I want to talk about is, I'm also going to start off with a case. So let's say a 32-year-old man who has a 20-pack year smoking history comes in. He tells you that his fingers are turning white, blue, and red whenever he goes into the cold. And this has been happening for some time. But now he's worried because his pinky finger is starting to look black at the tip. What's the diagnosis here? So, this is something called thromboangitis obliterans, also known as Berger's disease. This is seen in patients who are heavy smokers, and it typically affects younger males, so less than 40 years old. And what's the pathogenesis of thromboangitis obliterans? It's actually direct toxicity from tobacco use, or sometimes patients can have a hypersensitivity to the tobacco. And what happens is these patients can develop ray node phenomenon, so the fingers changing color, white, blue, red. Uh, they can have intermittent claudication, and that claudication can actually lead to gangrene. So basically what happens, they get a thrombosing vasculitis, so little, little blood clots, and it has involvement of both the veins as well as the nerves. And what's the treatment going to be for this disease? So if the patient has gangrene, unfortunately, you need to amputate those digits, um, but ultimately, this treatment is going to be smoking cessation because it's caused by tobacco. So I want you to remember the mnemonic "smoking burger" for this, and remember that Burger's disease is associated with heavy smoking history. And that's it for the medium vessel vasculitides. Let's hit the small vessel vasculitis now, and this is kind of a big topic. So um, we're actually going to split it up because some of the small vessel vasculitides are associated with these ANCA antibodies. Do you remember those? The anti-neutrophilic cytoplasm antibodies. So we're going to kind of split up small vessel vasculitis into the ANCA and non-ANCA vasculitides. Let's start with the ANCA diseases. So what are the three ANCA vasculitides? Do you guys know? Or what what are the ANCA antibodies? There's two different antibodies. So let's start with that. So, one of them is called C. anca. And do you remember what C. anca is actually against? So, this is an anti proteinase 3 antibody, or C. anca. And what disease is associated with C. anca? This is going to be Wegner's granulomatosis. The, another name for Wegner's is granulomatosis with polyangiitis. Just keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it in more detail. Um, But then before that, let's just talk about the next antibody. So the other antibody is P. ANCA. And what is that against? So this is anti-myeloperoxidase, okay? And there's two diseases that are associated with P. ANCA. Try and think of them now. So there's microscopic polyangiitis. And then there's something called Churg-Strauss syndrome, which is eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. So I know this is really confusing, but I just want to summarize, and then we're going to talk about each disease at length. So the ANCA vasculitides are small vessel vasculitides, and they are associated with two different antibodies. So the first ANCA is C-ANCA, which is an antibody against proteinase 3. And the disease associated with C. anca is Wegner's granulomatosis, also known as granulomatosis with polyangiitis. Then the second antibody is P. which is an antibody against myeloperoxidase. And there's two diseases associated with P. Their names are microscopic polyangiitis and then Turg-Strauss, which is also known as eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. So you'll notice that under C-ankA there's Wegner's, which is granulomatosis with polyangiitis, and under P-ankA there's Churg-Strauss, which is eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. I know I repeated myself a ton here, and I kept saying that again and again, but I just wanted to, you know, make sure that everybody gets that straight because I know it can be confusing, and I said a lot of words there. If that was confusing and you still have no idea what I said, don't worry. We're going to talk about each disease separately now. So the first vasculitis I want to talk about is the one that classically affects the upper and lower respiratory tracts as well as the kidneys. Do you guys know which one classically affects the upper airway, the lower respiratory tract, as well as the kidneys? So I'm going for Wegner's here, okay? And Wegner's is important. Think of it as affecting the nose, lungs, and kidneys. So in the nose, you can get sinusitis, perforation of the nasal septum. In the lungs, you can get shortness of breath, hemoptysis. And then in the kidneys, you can get hematuria, red cell casts, renal failure. And what's the pathogenesis of Wegener's? So another name for Wegener's is granulomatosis with polyangiitis. So you're going to get necrotizing granulomas. And these can be in the lung and upper airway. And you also get necrotizing glomerulonephritis. If you did a chest x-ray in these patients, you might see large nodular densities. Um, they can sometimes even be cavitary pulmonary masses from this granulomatous uh, process. And what's the treatment for Wegener's? It's going to be steroids and if refractory. So my little mnemonic for this is C U at Wegner's because I think Wegner's kind of sounds like a name of a grocery store. And I say C U at Wegner's because the C is for C-ANCA. So remember that Wegner's affects the nose, lungs, and kidney. And it's associated with C-ANCA, which is an antiproteinase 3 antibody. So remember, C U at Wegner's. And then the next one I want to talk about presents very similarly to Wegener's, but without the nasopharyngeal involvement. So you don't see the nasopharyngeal involvement. It still affects the lungs and the kidneys. And then you can also sometimes see palpable purpura because it does affect the skin. So this one is microscopic polyangiitis. And what antibody is it associated with? So this is associated with P. anca or antimyeloperoxidase. And what's the pathogenesis for microscopic polyangiitis? So this is a nec- necrotizing vasculitis. However, we do not see any granulomas. And remember, that differentiates it from Wegener's where we do see granulomas. And treatment for microscopic polyangiitis? Steroids, cyclophosphamide, same thing. And then we are now gonna talk about the last ANCA-associated small vessel vasculitis. And this one happens to be associated with asthma, as well as sinusitis, skin nodules, or purpura, and peripheral neuropathy. What's this one? So this is gonna be Turg-Strauss, or eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. And again, the pathogenesis in this one is going to be necrotizing granulomatous vasculitis with eosinophilia. So similar to Wegner's in that it has granulomas, similar to microscopic polyangiitis in that the antibody associated with it is P-ANCA or antimyeloperoxidase. And in these patients, remember, Churg-Strauss is associated with eosinophilic granulomatosis, so eosinophils are associated with asthma, so you can remember that these patients are going to have asthma. And they'll also have an increased IgE level because IgE upregulates eosinophil production, okay? So I know that the ankyovasculitis are very confusing. I hope that I organized that okay for you. Sometimes it's hard to just hear it. Sometimes you have to see it written down on a paper. Um, but remember, there's three ANCA vasculitides. Wegner's, microscopic polyangiitis, and Churg-Strauss. And then Wegner's is associated with C-ANCA, and the other two are associated with P-ANCA. Okay, let us move on to the very last section, only two diseases left, the two non-ANCA-associated small vessel vasculitides. So I'm going to start with a case. Let's say a young child comes in, he has colicky abdominal pain, It only lasts about five minutes at a time, but he's also had some episodes of bilious vomiting associated with the pain. He does also have some joint pain, and when you perform physical exam, he has this sausage-shaped mass in his right upper quadrant, and he has palpable purpura on his buttocks and legs. Any idea what diagnosis I'm going for here? So what I'm getting at is an IgA vasculitis also known as henoch schonlein purpura. This is actually the most common systemic vasculitis of childhood, henoch schonlein purpura, or IgA vasculitis. And what's the pathogenesis of this? So you get IgA immune complex deposition. It can be associated with IgA nephropathy, but basically it affects the skin, the gut, and the glomeruli. And you get a classic triad of palpable purpura, arthralgias, and abdominal pain. And the abdominal pain can often be from intussusception. And that's what I was getting at with that sausage-shaped mass and bilious vomiting in my question stem. So triad of palpable purpura, arthralgias, and abdominal pain is going to be henoch schonlein purpura, which is an IgA vasculitis. And how do we treat this? So it's actually usually self-limiting, and we only need to do supportive treatment, but there are circumstances where you may use steroids, so you wouldn't be wrong. And then finally, last case, let's say a patient with hepatitis C infection comes in, has arthralgias, peripheral neuropathy, abdominal pain, palpable purpura, also has glomerulonephritis. His symptoms are precipitated in the cold, That's kind of key for the diagnosis I'm going for. Any idea what it is? So I'm going for cryoglobulinemic vasculitis here. And the pathogenesis is cryoglobulins, which are specifically immunoglobulins that precipitate in the cold. And that's why these symptoms get worse in the cold. They'll have like Raynaud's and stuff whenever they're out in the cold. Most of the time, cryoglobulinemic vasculitis is going to be associated with hepatitis C infection which is why I included that in my question stem. And then the treatment for this, do you guys know? So you can use steroids, but really the key to treating this is going to be to treat the underlying hepatitis infection if they do have hepatitis C. Okay, so that kind of wraps up all the different types of vasculitis. I apologize if it got confusing at the end, but I was trying to repeat things multiple times so that they kind of stick. I'd like to drill things in one last time with a rapid fire section. I'm just going to kind of ask quick, quick little questions and see if you guys can think of the answers. And if you don't, no pressure. Feel free to come back to this and listen to this portion again if you need to. Um, But we're just going to quickly go through some key points I want you to remember. So the first rapid fire question. Let's say an elderly Caucasian female comes in with headache and jaw claudication. What are you thinking? Giant cell arteritis, very good. And how do we manage this? Remember, there's risk for blindness, so we want to treat with high-dose steroids and then do a biopsy of the temporal artery. Next, let's say a young Asian woman comes in with arm claudication. What are you thinking? Takayasu arteritis, very good. Remember, takayasu taco. Now, what about an Asian child who has those classic crash and burn symptoms? What's the diagnosis? Kawasaki, very good. Kawasaki kids crash and burn. And how do we manage Kawasaki's in children? IVIG and aspirin, excellent. Now, what about a medium vessel vasculitis that spares the lungs? What's a medium vessel vasculitis that spares the lung? Usually happens in middle-aged men they may have a history of hep B. Polyarteritis nodosa, excellent. Remember, pan man. Medium vessel vasculitis that's seen in smokers can be associated with Raynaud's syndrome, finger claudication, may develop gangrene. Thinking of Berger's disease or thromboangiitis obliterans, remember smoking Berger. Now, what's a small vessel vasculitis associated with C-ANCA or antiproteinase 3 antibody? This is Wegner's. And what organs does it affect? Remember, nose, lungs, kidneys. Now, what is a small vessel ANCA-associated vasculitis that we said does not have granulomas? Microscopic polyangiitis. And how does its symptom presentation differ from Wegener's? So they're not going to have any nasopharyngeal involvement, so no involvement of the nose. And then they also don't, do not have any granulomas. Okay, and what antibody does it, is it associated with? The P-ANCA, which is an antibody against myeloperoxidase. Very good. P-ANCA is anti-myeloperoxidase. What about the very last small vessel, ANCA-associated vasculitis, that's associated with asthma, eosinophilia, increased IgE? Churg Strauss. Very good. Now let's say a child comes in with a triad of palpable purpura, arthralgias, abdominal pain. What are you thinking? So this is henoch Schonlein purpura, or IgA vasculitis. And then the very last small vessel vasculitis that's associated with hepatitis C that precipitates in cold weather. So, this is cryoglobulonemic vasculitis. Wow, I feel like I need to take a little breath here because that was a lot of diseases, a lot of information packed into this episode. If you are still listening, uh, thank you so much for hanging in there and chugging along with this episode. Um, I definitely don't blame you if you need to rewind, go through that rapid fire section a couple more times to kind of hone in on some of those diagnoses. Um, When it comes to the vasculitides, my biggest piece of advice is going to be to just know how the diseases are organized and have kind of a flow chart or something in your brain and be able to make key associations. For example, arm claudication with Takayasu, crash and burn with Kawasaki. Just be able to make these key associations so that when you see a question stem on the board exam, you don't get overwhelmed by the entire details of the vignette, but you can kind of pick out those key associations and make the necessary diagnosis. Um, Vasculitis is a hard, hard topic. There's a lot of different diseases and it's tough to make those associations, but you just have to find a way that works and kind of keep on reviewing it. So if you need to listen to this episode again, draw out all the diagnoses on a piece of paper for yourself. If you need to listen to just that rapid fire section again and again, you know, whatever it is, I recommend really like drilling these diseases into your mind so that they stick with you for the exam and for the rest of your life. Okay. So that's all I'll say for now on this topic. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for your support. If you think these episodes are helpful, then I really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. And if you are a rising third-year or fourth-year medical student and you're interested in recording an episode, please reach out to us through that contact page on spoonfulofsugar.org. I wish you guys the best of luck with studying. Um, I hope you guys are also taking some time away from studying to relax and enjoy yourselves. Um, And I know that medical school can cause a lot of stress and anxiety, but just remember that Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.